So Lisa, last week I was buying my child some new clothes, which seems to happen regularly, like every, I don't know, two to three months because he's growing way too fast. Um, And the challenge that I really thought about, in addition to just spending this amount of money every so often, um, sizes. My child wears a particular size, but it's always the size in Husky. And when I started thinking about that language, it just really pissed me off because I'm thinking a Husky is a damn dog. My child is not a dog. So what do I do with this language of Husky? And I know that's for kids. I'm assuming that's very Americanized language, but Lisa, you can let me know if it's not. But then I also started thinking about the converse side of women's plus. And I've been in, you know, that 12 or more size my entire life. So what does Husky mean? What does plus mean? It just, the the language is curious. And I, I wonder if it's Americanized language, but I don't care what country it's in. It's it's a little problematic for me. Yeah, I don't know. Um, plus, I think definitely exists in the United Kingdom, or at least it used to. I don't know about Husky, but I would guess that there is probably some equivalent towards that. Like, I don't even understand Husky. Mm. Like, I mean, I get that it's a dog, like a big dog that's furry and strong but yeah. I mean like I, I think you paid someone too much for that marketing campaign shoe company <laughs> you know exactly exactly so uh, you know what what I'm thinking about for today is that we just really need to parse out language and what language does for us and what it does against us and we just need to think this through I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. So... I'm wondering about this whole Husky plus size conversation. I've always been in some type of plus size. I even remember as a little girl that was, you know, not slim by any white standard or any person's standard. And I remember those pleasantly plump rows of clothing as a little girl. And of course, I didn't think that much of it then because it's like, you know, you just want to find clothes that fit so that you're not picked on because kids pick on kids and that's that. But now that I'm an adult looking back, the entire system of language is problematic, whether it's clothes or anything else. It's it's just very problematic for me. And I'm still thinking it through what would be most appropriate and how do we kind of reinforce stories with words that aren't really true. Yeah, I mean, you say something enough or you hear something enough, right? It becomes reality. And so you can think about the effect that that has, um, like thinking about your child as an example, right? Is there is there an impact to him that he's in this husky category, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and all that is said with the word husky that isn't explicitly said, right? I think that's what we're getting at or what I hear you getting at rather is this underlying um, connotation of the words that we use and the language that we choose. And I think that's really salient in endurance sport, particularly around size, um, mm-hmm. you know, and who is and is not an athlete and a variety of other things. Yeah. And yeah. I think it... <laughs> You know, 
there's a lot of power in language. And I know I've said this a thousand times, and I think that we all need to be a little bit more aware of the words that we use and the long-term implications that they have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I wonder about how language is used and, and how we tell stories that aren't exactly true. So, you know, even when I stop to think about plus size, for example, you know, at a size 12 or so, that's an average woman's size in the United States. And in fact, larger sizes are the average, are the norm for women. And so the fact that what I think, especially when you're talking about models, size eight or 10 are considered quote unquote plus sizes, plus just reinforces the notion that you are either not normal, abnormal, outside of the the norm. It just, it's problematic language. And I think that's really interesting when the numbers and, and the pure data, the raw data don't support even the use of such language, because that's not a special category. Like, and I wouldn't want to do that to smaller people either, where they have, for example, we, we talked about selecting uh, pants that are considered short because the length is adjusted. Why can't we just have inches and be done with it? Like, why can't we have the inches of an inseam and be done with it rather than, oh, this is the short length, this is the long, this is the tall, this is the plus. These words are are not helpful and they reinforce a story that uh, makes people feel othered once again. They're just othered. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the plus one feels really obvious to me in terms of if we're constantly saying that this group of sizes is plus, then we're saying you're on the outside, right? And mm-hmm. there's just no need for that whatsoever. We can just go, you know, zero to 25, whatever that needs to be. I hadn't thought about um, the kind of pants or trousers inseam thing, right? Like I, I, I hear what you're saying around like in stores, you have like the petite sizing and things like that. So it's the same kind of othering that's happening there for folks who are on the smaller side, but with trousers, right? What I call trousers, pants, the inseam thing. Yeah. Like by labeling it short, regular, and long, you're saying by the use of the word regular, that short and long is somehow not normal. That's right. That's right. Exactly. And so, you know, it's reinforcing the abnormality of a particular group size, et cetera. And, you know, I'm, I'm even thinking about how this is abnormal. I I, I think we can see it across gender, but I'm not aware of men's pant sizes being short or tall like women's. Why can't they just be inches like men, for example? So when a man goes to uh, get a suit tailored or something of that nature, they tailor it by the inches or by the inseam or by the waist size. Why wouldn't that be just as appropriate for women by the waist size or the hip size or the whatever the inches are? Because that's a data point. That's a measurement rather than a value laden term or word. And so, you know, I I just think it's really curious and I've started noticing it with my son, but, you know, I think, you know, we have to really think about how language is used. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here, talking to you, Lisa, about language in general, but, you know, how are we reinforcing disempowering beliefs about oneself rather than empowering beliefs about oneself? So, you know, what does it mean to choose language that is already heavy and, I don't want to use the word negative because that sounds very flippant, but it doesn't sound empowering in any way. It's othering people. It's ostracizing people. Why aren't we 
highlighting the value that someone brings because of who they are, because of their measurements, because of their sizes. I just, I think language could have gone the other way, but it's obvious who chose this language, people who felt like a size 12 was the other, you know, (laughs) or people who felt like someone of a particular height was tall or short in comparison to themselves and their group and the decision makers who made those choices around language. It's just the the power shifting of words, I, I think we just really need to highlight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that we are taught through cultural narratives, um, you know, retail, family, education, that there is this capital T truth, right? There is this one way of being in the world that is quote unquote normal and true. When in reality, there isn't a capital T truth. There's kind of lots of little T truths. And the capital T truth, in my opinion, is constructed through white supremacy, right? Through male supremacy, Um And that leads anyone that doesn't fit that capital T truth normality in terms of body size, perspective, hair, ability um, to be othered. And then if we're constantly adding on language, like words like plus or big and tall or petite, right, there is just a reinforcement of that. And I I have to, you know, was the intention to be inclusive? Like when that, when those kind of like additions were created in the retail space or Mm. I I just don't, I don't know what the thought process would have been behind Husky or plus. And, and the thought clearly didn't include the people that they're trying to address because like, for example, this this is bringing up something for me that (laughs) this was a little bit traumatic for me, especially as a, a former pageant girl, which already has inherent problems in it. But I remember when um, in high school and even in college where, you know, you're trying to select, for example, makeup that matches your skin tone even the language of what those colors are. Now now we've gotten much more creative because we have more diverse folks that are actually starting makeup lines and so forth. But when the the blanket uh, label for foundation that usually didn't even match my skin perfectly was just dark, just, just the label is just dark. It's dark, nude, light, or dark. And I'm like, wait, what? But those were the options at the time when we didn't have a lot of diversity in those that produced foundation. And so what does that mean? So clearly non-people of color labeled this makeup for people of color. That's the first thing we know. But then the other piece was this language is curious to me because this is clearly created by a white person because I would be comparatively dark to you. However, in my community, I'm not dark. And so that label doesn't make sense to right. me in my compu- my community. And so dark has been a disempowering uh, point of view for a very long time. I mean, think about how many, I mean, th- there's some states that still have the language of darkies in their state songs, for example. So how does that language become very disgusting and it continues to reinforce someone else's perception of your community. And that's something as simple as makeup. So we think now we realize, you know, how many hundreds of different uh, human shades there are as far as color is concerned. So now we don't all just have to pick from dark, nude or light. I mean, we, we see it all the time in the labeling. And what does that reinforce by people who are consciously othering folks because those folks weren't part of the, the decision making about their own products? 
Yeah. And I do think this reinforcement that you're talking about is a cycle, right? So like if I, mm-hmm. I take mm-hmm. on the, um, the kind of p- perceived, um, normality or lack thereof of who I am in the world because of all these messages that I'm hearing. So I, over time, start to believe that. Um, and then in through my belief, I kind of regurgitate that same narrative, which just reinforces the cycle. That's right. And, That's you know, right. So rather than like breaking, breaking the cycle, because it's really easy to get sucked into that. Um, That's right. Rather than That's say, right. hang on, this doesn't make sense. That's exactly right. And, and not interrupting that. And so, you know, then this goes back to that whole um, Verna Myers quote about, you know, who's, who's part of the discussion, who's invited to the party, who's invited to dance, who's part of the party planning committee. Well, it's clear that a lot of these brands don't have a person of color or an underrepresented person at the party planning committee because they're not making decisions at certain levels. That's why as much, maybe one day we will seek after a target sponsorship for, for several reasons. I know that some businesses are problematic, but one of the things that I really love about going to target, for example, is every in cap, every, <laughs> every uh, uh, branding perspective in the store has a different identity group that's involved. So whether it's a a child with a cleft palate, for example, or the uh, multiracial little girl with the big curly hair and the freckles across her face, or uh, the person in a wheelchair beside someone who's standing. It's clear that people were aware and made decisions at a high level in order for that to trickle down to every single store in the country. And so, you know, when it comes to using language, I always wonder, and I can tell who either wasn't at the table when language was decided upon or was at the table and felt disempowered based on the outcomes of this language. You know, you can see it in almost every business, every community, you can see it clearly. So here's a question for you, given that we're talking about kind of these additional labels and the implicit messages in them and how that can create feelings um, of a lack of self-esteem or even maybe imposter syndrome, right? When we're talking about the athletic community and triathlon in particular, what do you think about Athena and Clydesdale? (laughs) As someone who would qualify as an Athena, I'm always disgusted by it. Um, And, you know, what I think is interesting is, you know, sometimes I want to just go back to, you know, let's use the data, you know, let's look at the raw data, I'm keenly aware of Athena's and Clydesdale folks who are whipping the pants off of age groupers when it comes to finisher times, et cetera. And I'm not saying that speed is everything to endurance sport, but if we want to go to that usual white male prioritized data point, then let's go there. There are uh, athletes that are Athena's and Clydesdale's that are still demolishing the field. Um, And so that tells me a lot about how people are othering people around their body image and what they think a body should do versus what it actually can do. So, you know, when I have a friend who is a, who qualifies as an Athena, um, who usually wears a size 18 kit, um, wears a double D bra, and she's, you know, beating most folks in her age group at all of her triathlons, then she's exercised her choice to either compete as Athena or age group. But if you're going by data point and how it's trying to other or oppress a particular group as to what we think they're capable of doing, to me, that's disgusting. 
it's disgusting. And, and I, I qualify, I'm, I'm in that group. So um, I qualify for that. And I still think it's rather disgusting because it, it tells me less about me and my performance and more about um, what people expect out of my performance based on what they see. Yes. So the implicit assumption of the Athena and Clydesdale categories is that you can't compete with the quote unquote normal age groupers. Right. So you like, like having the term age grouper and then Clydesdale and Athena is even troubling, right? Because you're, you don't have age, like you're not competing in a group of people of your same age. Like, um, so I wonder what, I don't know the history of that, of those categories. Um, so I wonder what the intention was around creating those categories and whether it came from people who identify as larger athletes, um, mm-hmm. whether it came from, you know, much like the makeup example, whether it came from, you know, cause it's been around a while. So yeah, basically yeah, yeah. white men, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, mm-hmm. um, in terms of that thinking it was an inclusive practice. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and let's be clear, let's talk about the trickle down from the language into the actual, uh, how can we say the implementation of it? I remember very clearly uh, going to a very large race that I was participating in, uh, probably close to 5,000 athletes. And I remember going to packet pickup and I actually did check Athena for this particular race. And I got there and I was asked to step on a scale. Yes. If y'all could see what we're, what Lisa is doing right now, the the shock on her face is like it, it, yeah, she lost her breath. No, I remember that very clearly. And I have witnesses (laughs) who were also Athena's competing in that race with me that had to step on a scale to prove that we were in the range of Athena. And for me, that was problematic. It reminded me back to my, you know, Weight Watcher days where, you know, yes, it had been a struggle, but, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I know of women who qualify as Athena who have been athletes their entire lives and don't have any body image problems. But what does this say? Because we don't have people who are age groupers to step on a scale to prove that they don't belong in Athena or Clydesdale. So, you know, let's look at it from both directions. I didn't see every single athlete stepping on a scale that day. And I was there with thousands of athletes. I didn't see it. And so how are we continuing to other people? And so, after that, uh, after that, and thinking about it long and hard, even though I still qualify as Athena, I never selected anymore. Just, mm. just as my own little protest, I, I just, yeah. I never selected anymore. And I'm, not, I'm not saying that I'm judging folks who do. I'm just saying that it's less about those of us who fit in Athena, Athena and those who uh, expect us not to perform in certain ways. That, it, it, that's disgusting to me. That is disgusting. I think that's a great word. And I feel like dehumanizing also, right? Like you're like your cattle or something like get on the scale so we can see how much you weigh to make sure you fit in this other category. But, you know, if you mm-hmm. are, you know, 90 pounds or 120 pounds, you don't need to because um, mm-hmm. you don't need yeah. to prove that you can be an age grouper. Like that's right. That that's is right. absolutely sending an implicit and in some cases actually quite explicit message that you don't really belong and mm-hmm. we have lower expectations of you yep. or yep. right. That you're in some way going to cheat. There's also this underlying thing around the fact that you need to get on Ooh. a scale to prove that you're a certain weight mm-hmm. um, is probably wrapped up in this idea that people are going to like age groupers are going to try and get into the Athena category so that they can win and cheat 
right? Mm. So because mm-hmm. clearly mm-hmm. someone who's in the age grouper category who doesn't fit the Athena group is going to be faster than the Athenas. Mm-hmm. Oh, clearly. I mean, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm thinking of several people who have made the national team that, yes, they, <laughs> that by weight, absolutely would fit in the Athena category, but they're some of the fastest athletes, bar none that I've ever heard. And so that I've ever seen. So it, it just, re- it reinforces so many different things about the expectations that you couldn't possibly go this fast at that weight for whatever reasons. Give me a break. No way. No, that's just not true. And so, again, disempowering beliefs and language. I'm going to disempower you by saying, oh, well, Lisa, you are at, you know, I'm just picking a number out of the sky. I know this is not your weight, but let's say you're at 180 as a athlete in a particular age group. There's no way in hell that you could be faster than somebody that's 120. (laughs) I can give you a laundry list of athletes who are faster than the one that's at 120. They just Mm -hmm. are just on the data point. And so, you know, it, it does go back to those expectations. So going back to our empowering and disempowering beliefs and language, we have to go back to the system of beliefs and language. There is absolutely nothing wrong with any athlete based on their weight, whether they are 130 or 230, there is nothing wrong with you as an athlete. This is an implication on our system. (laughs) The system is what's problematic. And so how do we continue to break that down? Lisa, this might be another letter, another angry letter we write to somebody telling them to throw away Athena and Clydesdale, but, but it's something to at least Mm -hmm. question on a regular basis. Yeah. And I mean, really we should be, if we want to be inclusive, right, then it is, about our structure of our organization and our race, but it's also about the language we choose to use. So Athena and Clydesdale by that measure should be gone. Um, You know, short, regular, long inseams should be gone, right? Like plus sizing should be gone. Husky sizing should be gone. Big and tall should be gone. And we should just normalize the depth and the breadth of the human body and um, stop making implicit assumptions about what that body can do and then labeling it in a certain way because labeling has such a huge impact on someone's self-esteem. It's that mm-hmm. cycle again that we talked about, but the, you know, mm-hmm. the context of being labeled plus or labeled an Athena, um, yeah. it can be really yeah. damaging. I mean, for some, maybe it can be empowering, but I think by and large, it can have a detrimental effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And, you know, it's, I, I I could see it both ways. So I could see, you know, I'm not going to choose Athena because um, I don't want to buy into the labels that I didn't choose for myself. Other people may say, I'm going to choose Athena and prove you wrong um, and prove to you that I can do it. So I, I, I'm not passing a judgment on anyone who chooses either or I am passing judgment on a system that was created on body type and body image and you know, the, the quote unquote athletic body, like, what is that? What, what, what is the athletic body? We know that the athletic body has been traditionally a white male, relatively thin muscular body. I'm sorry, but I know, you know, women of color who have lots of curves, who are heavier in weight, their body mass, maybe their, their uh, fat mass or body mass may be completely different. And they're still, you know, a hell of an athlete. So yes, I I think we need to query as a system, what were our preconceived notions of who an athlete is? Because Mm. this completely debunks who an athlete might be. 
Um, and, you know, going back to our point of our industry. So Lisa, as coaches, how do we challenge coaches not to walk in with uh, prejudice concerning body image and what a body can do and performance? All, I think all of that needs to be held by um, both coaches and athletes in the system. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about the language that we use, it comes back to conversations we've had about microaggressions and the assumptions that we make and the words we place on people. Yeah. Um, and I also, there's also this reframing piece that you and I have talked about off air, right. In the say, in the sense of I'll use the vaccination example that you provided around, um, you know, a lot of the narrative right now in the news is that uh, African-American black communities are not getting vaccinated at the same rates as white people because, you know, they're scared of the medical community, right? And mm. your proposed reframe was actually that the white medical community lost their trust, right? Yes. And I think yes. using language to reframe the issue um, is mm. a much more precise way to name the problem, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just, it feels like victim blaming, right? It's your fault that the Tuskegee Institute happened. It's your fault that Henrietta Lacks happened. It's your fault. Uh, no, let, let's talk about again, where the power lies. Right. And so, to me, it's very much victim blaming. And in fact, um, on our, uh, this is my uh, shameless plug for the uh, un for for our unfazed podcast uh, Facebook page. I just posted something um, a while back around the there's only 5% of black people who have received the vaccination at this point. And it's not for the lack of trying. And one of the concerns around receiving the COVID-19 vaccination was, oh, well, the, the black community doesn't trust us. So that's why it's at 5% rather than the health professions and the medical community saying we have systemically in this country lost and diminished the trust of black people. And therefore we have to do our part in earning that trust back. And so the onus isn't placed on the patient. It's placed on the system and those that make up the system that, that I think we need to continue to reframe language consistently, mm -hmm. consistently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so applying that, thinking about that in the endurance sport context, it's right. Well, women don't want to do triathlon. Um, people of color don't want to do triathlon or whatever sport, right? Or people mm -hmm. over a certain weight don't want to do or can't do triathlon versus what have we done or not done as an industry um, to include folks who are outside of what our society considers normal? Like what have we done to break down that, um, uh, structure or belief around normality. That's right. That's yeah. right. Absolutely. Yeah. What have we done so that again, we're not, we're not blaming the athlete. We're, we're not blaming the athlete for showing up as themselves. We're not, you know, and I'm, we've talked a lot about sizes and labeling and so forth, but not blaming the athlete for showing up with gorgeous dreadlocks down to their waist, because it's the system's fault that they didn't have a swim cap that was large enough. It's not the athlete's um, problem that they came with their hair the way they did. It's not their problem. It's the system's problem. So I think that reframe is just a constant litany of what we need to kind of think through as re, we reframe endurance sport. I mean, it's, it's literally reframing an entire sport <laughs> using language, using approaches, practical approaches that, um, that don't, uh, don't centralize the rightness of the system. It centralizes the rightness of all athletes. 
Yeah, I think so. And I do think it, you know, we needed to pay attention to how we make, how we communicate that and the language choices that we make. And if you're thinking as an organization that you want to add a category, right. Or, um, some like additional something to your race or your coaching services that kind of creates this class of people that fall into this quote unquote special category, yeah, yeah. then um, you might want to rethink that because the ongoing repercussions of labeling folks who are outside of that white male um, athletic norm, it, that, you mm-hmm. know, it, it then has really detrimental effects. And I just, we don't have time to talk about this now, but then I just pop- popped into my head was the quote unquote special Olympics. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's good labeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good on that labeling pieces. Yeah. Yeah, we need to unpack that too. So yeah, I, I think we should kind of query words and and maybe that's an ongoing theme because it's so it intersects almost every podcast we've had actually about how is language used or not used, how it's questioned or not questioned. Um, because, mm-hmm. you know, language like Athena and Clydesdale and Plus and Husky and all that language, it stayed in place because we've allowed it, you know, that, that, right. you know, e- even with it, uh, you know, being cooked up by someone, um, those of us who feel harmed by it or think that it's inappropriate, it's allowed because no one's questioned it or pushed it enough to be questioned. And so that, that's what we want to do is, is make endurance sport uncomfortable to at least think through and communicate quite clearly the choices that they make. Um, mm-hmm. not saying that everything needs to be changed, but even when there, there isn't change, were you thoughtful about the language that you right. use with Athena right. and Clydesdale? But yeah. I, I would never call a human being. a. I mean, that goes in the Husky category. I would never call a human being a Clydesdale. I wouldn't do that. Right. The Cl- Clydesdale is a big horse, right? I'm thinking of like the, um, Budweiser horses. That, am I right there? Okay. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I just wouldn't, I would never call a human being an animal. Can we, can we not do that? Can we just, <laughs> that, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but I, I think it's incumbent upon us to, to question language at every point in endurance sport. Why do we use what we use? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so for example, you know, and I know this is another kind of tangent, but you know, even with, you know, with our shoes, like that's one place where I may be okay with it. So for example, if I'm buying running shoes, you know, running shoe sizes aren't Clydesdale and Athena you know, their stability or neutral or, you know, so they, they adequately describe the shoe without creating plus or minus empowerment language to describe it. Like, I, I think we can find some other right. type of language to describe because right. we do it. I think we do it okay with, with shoes, for example, yeah. but with other things, mm, not so much. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot here. Um, and I think that it would be great to hear from listeners, um, you know, either on our social media or send us a voicemail about language choices that you've heard in the endurance sport, sports community that create these kind of different classifications of people that set groups outside of what is considered this mm. normal mm-hmm. um appearance or behavior for an athlete, right? Which and we're Shauna and I are saying to be clear. There is no normal and the normal that it's kind of in the mainstream narrative is a problem and we need to break that down and get rid of it, right? Because it's inherently exclusive. Um, That's right. That's right. So, you know, and it would be great to hear from folks who maybe fit into the Athena and Clydesdale categories who 
perhaps feel differently than Shauna and I about it, right? Like there's certainly a diversity of opinions there, I imagine. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm open to hearing everybody's opinion because I realize that, you know, we, we are not the only opinion here, but I'd love to hear more about people who fit in those categories. How do you feel about being labeled um, in such a way as an appropriate label, as an empowering or disempowering label? We'd love to hear from you. So um, like I mentioned before, we have the, uh, unfazed uh, podcast Facebook group. So please uh, join the group and talk. We It's actually a private group, y'all. You can search and find us, but once you're in, it's private conversations uh, because we realize that these are tough topics that can make us feel a bit uncomfortable purposefully. Um, so join that, uh, that group, of course, but we want to continue the conversation as well. And um, Lisa, too, we also have the Women's Performance Summit coming up, right? That's coming up pretty soon. Yes, we do. Live Feisty Media is putting on um, Um, the Women's Performance Summit. It's running March 26th to 28th. And we have a fabulous giveaway um, to offer someone here a free ticket to Mm. the summit, which is a $149 value. Um, So so what do they have to do, Shauna, to enter into the composition? Yeah, absolutely. So leave us a review um, of our podcast and leave a comment, of course, and then screenshot it and share it on your social media. Okay, screenshot it, share it on your social media, tag us in it, tag Live Feisty Media and Outspoken, and then we're going to select a winner. Um, So that winner will be selected uh, the Tuesday before the event, and you might be the lucky person to get that ticket, and you can chime in to hear me, Lisa, and and other folks. Uh, I don't don't know if we're experts or not, Lisa, but we we sit around and think about this all day, right? So We have opinions. uh, We we have opinions. There you go. We have opinions, (laughs) strong opinions about this. Join those of us who have strong opinions and hear what we have to say about women's performance, what affects it, and and maybe uh, you you might be the lucky person. Get out your notes, take lots of notes, and uh, we'll be there. So meet us there. Hi, folks. Sarah here, the founder of Live Feisty Media, the company that produces the podcast you're currently listening to. I just wanted to jump in here and invite you to our latest initiative here at Live Feisty, the Feisty Women's Performance Summit. On March 26th to 28th, we will be serving up a virtual summit like no other, designed specifically for active feisty women or anyone who wants to know how women can get the best out of our bodies throughout our lives. I think we all kind of figured out by now that a lot of sports and nutrition science studies, product and performance research is done on men and are a little confused maybe about what actually applies to us as women. So we collected experts from several arenas, physiology, psychology, nutrition science, and social sciences to get some answers. The Feisty Women's Performance Summit includes 20 educational sessions, plus networking events, group workouts, and an expo full of supportive brands. I seriously hope you can join us on March 26th to 28th, 2021. Tickets are only $149 and all sessions will be recorded and can be viewed up to two weeks after the event. For more information or to sign up, go to womensperformancesummit.com. The link will be in the show notes, of course. That's womensperformancesummit.com. See you there, feisty friends. The Unfazed Podcasts and all things Feisty Triathlon are grateful to be supported by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker cuts through the noise of diet and wellness trends by analyzing your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to provide you a personalized, science-backed, 
trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is a simpler, cheaper, and more convenient option than traditional blood tests, and their test includes biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from the traditional option. What we love about them? They don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. Inside Tracker is offering 25% off their entire store to the Feisty Triathlon community. To claim your offer, go to insidetracker.com slash feistytriathlon. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at try to defy at Dr. Gold Speaks or at Outspoken Women in Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time. <laughs>